This is Getting Past the Subtitles. I am Sean Peel. This is DK Lee. And we are starting another new series. A long-awaited one, I feel, since we started the podcast. It's one of the earliest discussion of ideas. It only took a year, but here we are. (laughs) We are doing a deep dive, a retrospective on a very legendary filmmaker, Akira Kurosawa, um, who was active since the early 1940s during World War II, up until, what, like, his last movie was like 1995 or something, right? I think 93. Or 93. So pretty long time, pretty, pretty many decades to be active. He definitely spanned very, very long. Yeah. He definitely made good use of his time. (laughs) But yeah, so we are here starting off our journey with his first film, Sanshiro Sugata. Uh, What is some of your experience with Kurosawa before we kind of really envelop him? Are you super familiar with him? What have you seen versus what haven't you seen? I think my first experience with Kurosawa was actually not from Kurosawa's film itself, but from the renditions or inspirations of Kurosawa's films. Movies like Magnificent Seven or other movies. There's so many movies, if you think about it, even like Star Wars, that has references or that has inspirations from Kurosawa's films that I feel like it's something that you can't escape. Right. And for me, actually one of the first experiences for me was actually a animation called Samurai 7. Mm. But it was actually like a technological twist to the Seven Samurai original. So it's like these sure. characters who... It's literally the same story mm. where these these Ronin are picked up by this farmer that needs help because their village is about to be destroyed by this um, evil like empire. Yeah. And so they pick up these samurai um, of all different kinds and then they bring them to the village and, and ultimately these samurai fend them off. Mm-hmm. But that was my first, I think, real introduction to uh, Akira Kurosawa's influence. Right. And from there, I think it just only spread more and more because I really enjoyed that anime. And and from from that, I just got to know more about who Akira Kurosawa was. And like, you know, like every time you listen to some director, they're always like, oh, Kurosawa, I had Kurosawa with that, <laughs> yeah. Kurosawa with this. I had a, a big influence <laughs> is, you know, Kurosawa, even like Martin Scorsese and, you know, George Lucas and many, many, many great directors have mm. um, named Kurosawa's films as an inspiration in it. And like once you watch it, I think you can really tell why, especially for the time period, the kind of movement and the selection of the frame and what to put in the frame and how to move the camera. Mm-hmm. All of these things in Kurosawa's film feel very natural and feel very fluid uh, it feels intentional and feels very thought out. And even from the first film that we watched today, I've I see the hallmarks of right. his great films, and even in his first film. So uh, I'm very excited to talk about this film today. Agreed, agreed. I'm here to see what all the hype is about. Um, some de- yeah, some centuries for, and decades after. For a after. guy who didn't watch Seven Samurai, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not just a little late or anything. It's all good. It's all good. It's uh, okay. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, for me, I kind of the same as you. Very, like, really, the only way that I experienced or heard of Kurosawa was primarily like secondhand, off of other directors and their styles and their continuous preaching and uh, referencing of Kurosawa and his style and hearing about, you know, like, oh, classics like Yojimbo and Seven Samurai and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I'd never um, really experienced it firsthand and kind of see what uh, his style really is and see his 
own hallmarks in action and kind of see, you know, how it's his films that kind of developed and all these things. Yeah, I mean, and not recently I had seen Ikiru, which was my first one with him. And that was an interesting one to kind of start off with, especially since when you think uh, Akira Kurosawa, I think for the most part, it just goes to like Western samurai films, you know, and sort of that atmosphere. And whereas my first film watching it was pretty much the complete opposite and very yeah. much just drama and kind of seeing how he works with, you know, characters. And it was a very, very thematic film too. And so, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting to kind of like juxtapose my experience with that and then seeing this film, uh, secondly, his first one. Because they're very, mm. I mean, they're very different uh, in comparison. And we can talk, I mean, you know, the next film is Ikiru. So we'll kind of get into that later on. Yes. But yes, so about uh, Sugata. So pretty briefly released in 1943, uh, originally during World War II, but was re-released actually in Japan again in 1952. Um, and this is essentially because really the original cut for uh, Sugata is not with us anymore <laughs> unfortunately um there was about uh, I, I think 17 minutes of footage was actually cut from the original version and it was essentially lost after the war the discussions as to why it's not really clear original like i mean you can kind of say like censorship because i mean uh Jap japanese government was sensitizing media during that time however his film actually passed censorship originally when it got released. And then it got cut after the fact again. And I think people's skepticism comes from the studio. I think the studio actually probably cut it down for just runtime reasons. And then, well, the just copies of that reel is just gone, essentially. So yeah, so it's pretty much shorter. And those moments in the film that we watch when it gets to like the mid credits and it kind of like fills in the gaps are, are essentially the footage that was lost and it tries to do it with um with those kind of um through text basically um so yeah so what we what I, me and you watched essentially is the 1952 version it's the only one that's out there um but the movie was actually released in the u.s pretty long time afterward in 1974 um and at the time it was actually renamed judo saga so I think most people uh, in the West recognize the movie as that title during that time. Yeah, and there's also a sequel in 1945. Why didn't we pick that, yeah. Lee? Why didn't we do... <laughs> we can watch both. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> it, there was like, it was like leading into a sequel at the end of the movie. It was like, he's coming back. He's, he's No, he's going. Yeah, but he's, he's going. he promised that he was going to come back. He's like, right. Take care of your father. I will return. <laughs> yeah, it's always nice to end in a cliffhanger, right? <laughs> Kitasawa was ahead of his time. He's like, sequels are going to be the future, and I need to like <laughs> secure my lifeline as a filmmaker. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so what exactly is Sanshiro Sugata's film about, Lee? What exactly did we watch here? So Sanshiro Sugata is about Sanshiro, who is this young man who comes uh, to the city because he wants to learn jujitsu, And so he's going around looking for a teacher. And he hears that there is this teacher at this dojo, I guess. And he goes there. But then uh, once he's there, the people there are kind of fishy. They're kind of <laughs> sketch. And they're out to attack this other teacher from this other school because they feel like um, this other school is a disgrace to jujitsu, disgrace to martial arts. So they go and ambush him while he's going back home in a rickshaw at night. Right. But then uh, the guy, the the sensei, the master, um, who was riding the rickshaw, he basically apprehends all of them. And Sanshiro, seeing that, he's like, "Oh no, <laughs> you have to be my master." Can you please be my master and teach me your ways? Mm -hmm. And basically, that's how he starts um, to 
learn at the school of Shudokan Judo. And from there, he is a student there, but then he's a very out of control. He kind of does whatever he wants. He's very raw and instinctual. Mm. He gets into a fight at night. And because of that, the teacher gets mad at him. And he's like, you have no right to learn judo. Like, you aren't ready yet. Uh-huh. You're, you're still a kid. And you have no self-control and discipline. And until you learn what it means to be a, a human being, you're not going to be learning judo. So this guy, um, because he's so stubborn, he's like, no, I'd rather die. And he jumps into a swamp and he stays there until he feels like the master will forgive him. And so he's in the swamp. Um, he's holding on to this stake in the middle of the swamp and he's just chilling right. there. And he realizes that he needs to learn discipline and learn to master his own self. Mm. And so, you know, after that, instead of be- just being this, you know, crazy, rambunctious dude, he starts to learn and he actually becomes one of the best students at the school. Right. And at the time, the city is looking for somebody to teach judo or teach martial arts to the police force. And so the police force decides to hold this big event so that all the different schools have a chance to participate and show that their martial arts is the best Mm. so that they can teach the police force. And so Shidokan's judo is one of the premier schools that is invited to participate. Mm. And also there's this other school called the Shinto Ryu Jiu-Jitsu School is also a rival to uh, Shidokan, but is also invited sure. to participate. And Shinto Ryu is led by Hanosuke Murai, um, who is the master of that style. Mm. And he is um, set to be in a match with the Shudokan school. But instead of the master from the Shudokan school, the uh, Shudokan school's master uh, suggests that... Um, Sanshiro is the representative for the school. Right. And so basically Murai and Sanshiro go and they have a match and Sanshiro basically destroys him. Whoops, his <laughs> ass. <laughs> basically destroys him. But the thing is, uh, Murai has a daughter and the daughter has been praying and praying for the father to win in this match. Mm. And while she was praying... Sanshiro, with his master, went up to the temple and he sees Sayo Murai. And Mm. they see her praying and from there, like, Sanshiro is attracted to her. Once he realizes that Sayo is the daughter of Hanuske, uh, basically he kind of feels a little bad for completely wrecking him (laughs) in the match. But then they kind of come to terms and they Mm. have a good relationship together. And basically, um, after the match, they're kind of together after the match. But then there's this other guy named uh, Genosuke Higaki. And Higaki is one of the disciples of the Shinto Ryu Jiu-Jitsu. He's out there to prove himself. And, and he's also kind of like Sanshiro in the sense that like he's kind of unbridled. And so he challenges Sanshiro to a match he also kind of likes Sayo. And so he's hmm. like, no, we can't have this right here. <laughs> we need to duke it out. <laughs> and so they decide to fight. Um, to the death. Night. Yeah, to the death. So they also have a match at the end. And also Sanshiro basically wrecks him again. <laughs> and basically that's that's the end. Like after pretty, they, yeah. yeah, after they have their final match... Sanshiro decides to uh, leave for a different assignment in, I think, Yokohama. Yeah. And then Sayo basically escorts, uh, escorts. Sanshiro to the, to the train. And that's the end. But the thing is, Sanshiro Sugata is not uh, just a one-off. There's two parts, so it's basically the uh, cliffhanger for the, this film. For the return of Sanshiro Sugata who yes. is like 100 pounds heavier all muscle and brain <laughs> like destructo <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. So overall, I think that the plot is actually very simple.、Mm. It's a very simple disciple who wants to, who who was, you know, rowdy and who kind of didn't know left from right. Right. Who finally finds this martial arts and learns to control himself and have discipline and learn the nuances of the martial arts and also how to deal with people, not just with strength but also with love and kindness. Right. And humility. Yeah, it's like it's for me. It's kind of funny to see like, or it was it was a little odd to see. I mean, like when you when we first meet Sugata, he's a pretty chill guy, and there is a sense of like, okay, he wants to learn martial arts and he wants to go to the best school, and so he's pretty open minded and like reserved. Like when you know he first meets a.、Uh, Muma Sensei and his Jujutsu students at school, and they're kind of rowdy, pretty reckless. But I didn't like get the sense that he was, I don't know, judgmental toward them. Just like hanging back, like feeling it out, you know. Right. And then he gets tagged on to a ride to like basically jump another teacher of like of a rival、uh, martial art, and then all those guys get whooped like on the street, you know. Yeah. And then. He, He sees, oh, like, oh, this guy is a real deal. You know, this guy obviously is has a superior martial art, and he learns under him. But he's like, a, you know, all up until then, he seems pretty humble and like a very yeah,、like exactly. straightforward guy. And then the next scene, we see him, and he's literally like judo throwing every pedestrian on the street, yeah, <laughs> like random people on the street. Yeah, he's. I didn't even know that was him for like a good minute up until afterwards. I thought it was one of the rowdy guys from the other school. Exactly, but no, it, it's Sanshiro just going like he's like he does like four suicide laps and tosses like four different guys. Yeah, until he messes with like one huge dude and he's like, oh, oh, get back out of this now. And then you find out that it's a、uh, because you don't even really see his face too much. Like it's really hard to kind of tell in the chaos. But、mm-hmm. then it's you got that coming after a. Drunken night brawl, and he's getting yelled、yeah. at by his teacher. Yeah, it, it was just kind of funny to see like that, like super left turn, sort of character, you know, of him. Yeah,、uh, there are definite flaws. I feel like in the overall tone sure, of the、sure. film and just the general demeanor of the acting. I don't know if that's because of the time or just. Right. Bad acting. <laughs> <laughs> it's his first movie. You got to give him a break. Yeah, I mean, like, it's really like you said. I mean, it is a very simple, very conservative story, or conventional as well. And I, and that's fine. Like, I, honestly, I was probably pleasantly surprised to see that for、uh, Kitasawa's debut. It's definitely not what I expected for sure. But it's it is a super easy to watch like movie and. It's executed fairly well,、uh, for the most part. I mean, like in in terms of characters, they're not super amazing. You know, I would even say like especially for Sanshiro,、uh, ironically enough, because I mean the guy has like I would even say they're quite mediocre. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the characters, like they're not really fleshed out too much. You know what right, I mean? Like、right. there's not much to grab onto there.、Mm-hmm. And it's like. Part of it is just the filmmaking and like writing of it, and I think also part of it was that there's missing footage of the movie. Like there's the the second mid credits when after the daughter of so Moma so Sashiro kills Moma in the second time that they fight at the exhibition or like pre exhibition、mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, and his you get introduced to the daughter or whatever, and it's like oh he's a daddy daughter relationship, and then the daughter finds out that. Uh, her father got killed by Sashiro, and basically she tries to get revenge on Sashiro by coming over、mm-hmm. to the school or whatever. And then there's apparently like an entire scene there where he like feels sort of、uh, depressed or like guilt of his actions because the daughter tried to you know get back at him, and it、yeah. has this whole like emotional arc essentially of feeling bereaved. And then training hard, and then kind of getting over himself, and sort of finding his, finding his like mental state again before going on to the fight with Mudai. That when I read that, I was like, "That's a huge, like, piece of the puzzle. Like, it's, it, it like that is literally like Sanshiro's, like, personal and emotional 
arc and like twist in in the film you know and that's mm-hmm. like what is missing and that's a that's a huge letdown and it's it's a i mean it, it sucks but i think that would have made a grand difference in sort of how the characteristics of the movie is, uh, is shown you know yeah even even how i would perceive it because just reading it really doesn't do it justice right right i can kind of paint it in my mind but it doesn't really do as much as me actually seeing the character going through the struggle and mm. and overcoming it and right and we don't get that which really makes the character feel mediocre right right at best <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have like he kind of lacks uh just like humanity in a sense so he, he mm. in the movie from what we see him just sort of lacks i don't know like maybe empathy or to other people like i mean he he does and kind of sees it but it's hard to like grasp it just from like seeing him you know because he's yeah he's pretty one-dimensional and doesn't have a lot of dialogue and he's pretty like kind of a shy character you know he kind of strays away from conversation when he's forced into it with people and it's especially true with like sayo when they have their whole scene when Mm -hmm. she's like praying and stuff so yeah i mean with that scene it really would have been a game changer to to that for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he did, like, everything right, per se. I think Kitasawa had the right intentions and the right scenes to, like, make sort of a fleshed-out film. And the piece is like, oh, you know, there's this character who wants to get stronger and sort of be the best at what he does. And then sort of a by-the-book um mechanic is like okay he has to sort of like feel something or he has to like lose some way and then he has to kind of overcome himself or you know kind of overcome a mountain and then have like this sort of final battle and we're kind of and like as we said we're we're missing that piece where he's you know feels like a failure or fails and it kind of overcomes himself but obviously like that was still there in the movie like at one point or another yeah you know what i mean so it's like I think I, I praise him for having, like, the right building blocks in the movie and, like, the right sort of pieces to make a a good narrative and a good sort of character movie and plot. I don't think, like, like I was saying, I think the execution is probably a bit mediocre in a way that, like, they're, most of the characters are kind of one-dimensional and there's not much to see. But that's kind of something that I feel with the movies of that time, too, though, in a way. Yeah, it's kind of sad because we'll never know the true full intent of the director, right? Because there's obviously missing parts to this film. But just even judging from the title cards that were placed with the text and kind of summarizing what the scenes that were missing was about, Mm. you can already get a glimpse of how he wanted to flesh out the characters and how he wanted the story to progress in a arc right yeah and so from that i think that we can't really judge too much based on what we just see on a whole because there are obviously missing footage um but on the other hand just from what we do see it is kind of lacking Mm -hmm. because of that fact right right so yeah, I agree. It's yeah. a it's a strange like double whammy in a way, right? Like, mm. we just never get to see the full potential of it, essentially. But then you do see the glimpse of the potential in the movie, yeah. Which is, you know, funny. It's just like, uh... <laughs> um, yeah. So, what is like some of your favorite moments or scenes in the movie? The first fight scene was beautiful. I think the sensei is against the water. It's dark, and there's just this right. this light coming from one side, and and it's just almost like noir, sure. right? And then we have the uh, various hooligans <laughs> that we con- constantly going back and forth to, and and right. the camera constantly pans back and forth all of their faces, and then we pan back, we see Sanshiro's face, and him just observing the master doing his work. The way that it was shot where it was against the water and like every time a guy would approach him, he would just throw him into the water <laughs> every single time. Right. I just thought it was beautifully shot and the pacing was good. It was just funny that every time they threw them into the water, they never came back. 
<laughs> Those guys were dead. But uh, that was a beautiful moment, really kind of showcasing, mm. I think, even just his future work in, in that, like, in shooting movement and shooting these tense action sequences. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. It was... It was so dark for me, though. Like, it was really hard to see what was going on, like, when I was watching it. Right, right. And, and, I mean, it's just the process of, like, it's film, but, like, what we're watching is a digital, like, reconstruct, like, imprint of the movie. Like, it's just, like, po- post-process and then post-process again kind of thing. So it's not the best quality. But I, th- I do think it would have been really awesome to kind of see a redone or, like, remastered version of that scene. I feel like it would be really cool. Actually, I really like the scene. There's a funny story about that, though, because I think I read an account. The cinematographer had made an account that they shot it at night, and at that night, it was, like, zero degrees outside. It was, like, freezing cold. <laughs> so every time someone got th- one of the stunts got thrown into the water, they immediately had to be taken out and then, like, moved to their hotel to warm back up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that must have sucked. You have to pay me some serious money to do that. But the reality is they probably did not get paid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a great scene right after the fact. Like the shoe and then the seasons change and then it goes into the river mm-hmm. and then like it pans up to the people running and then it goes into the scene of uh, Sanshiro like fighting those... In the bar. In, on the street, yeah, yeah whatever, yeah, yeah. on the bar or whatever. But it's just like a beautiful transition, I think, by using just one shoe showing the progress of time and kind of transitioning in that way. Mm. And you see that a lot in his films. And just the fact that, you know, he's been doing that from the beginning, I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it was a pretty uh, smart way to just transition time for sure. To show like, oh, he's been training for a while. And you get the sense too, like even after the fact, obviously, I mean, well, he's not been using his powers for good, but (laughs) but he's a pretty skilled martial artist, you know, after the fact. Mm. And, like, the context of the conversations afterwards is that he's been training for a while and he's probably one of the best of the best at the school. You know, right. even better than the master, per se. And he's, like, arrogant and he's just kind of using it wherever he wants. Right, right. He's no better than the bad guys he beat so long ago. Right. Um, yeah, for me, I don't know. I think my favorite is definitely, like, during the second half. But, I don't know, maybe everything with, like, Murai. And, like, so, like, before the fight happens, he... I do like the scene where he's, like, on probation or whatever. And then uh, Yano's has, like, I guess all of his students all together. And he's announcing that the police want to hold this exposition to kind of uh, basically declare, like, great martial artists to teach... Uh, the police force in the future and then he reads like this personal note from uh, Higaki who basically challenges him to the fight to the tournament yeah and he yeah yeah and Yano takes him out of probation he's like he wasn't talking about me he was talking about you Sugata and he's like you can fight you can go and he's like hi sensei hi (laughs) he's like super (laughs) excited about it yeah he's so giddy that was kind of funny but yeah I liked Pretty much everything after that when he he meets, or after Monmo, actually, he meets uh, Sayo, and then there's, like, this relationship between them, and then you find out, oh, that, you know, she's the daughter of Murai, which is going to be his future opponent, and it's, like, you know, this huge one master to dun, another dun, dun. kind of situation, <laughs> and she's, like, devastated in a way about finding yeah. the truth when he uh, comes out. It's interesting because the whole sort of mood of the fight changes, right? Because now he, I don't know, he's not doing it to, maybe initially he's doing it to prove himself or like prove that the martial art is better or something. But then it becomes a very humble fight, you know, because he cares for her in some odd way. But he doesn't want to like destroy her dad (laughs) at the same time, you know, especially after the Monmo fight fight right because obviously he had just murdered somebody in brutal combat after that and he doesn't want to recommit that same thing obviously he he felt pretty down because of momo's daughter that obviously tried to enact revenge on him 
but now he yeah. especially wants to protect Sayo, right? And he he de- he definitely doesn't want to go through the same thing with somebody that he has an some kind of attraction to, or one way or another. And so, exactly. like, and that's definitely reflected in that next fight with Mudai. Very like respectful fight, right? There's like five minutes of them just running around locked in arms together and like <laughs> yeah close-ups and hard breathing i feel like those moments are like the funniest moments where they're just like <laughs> locking locking together and they're just like moving around like yeah, they're yeah. dancing yeah there's like sl- slow sway dancing with each other yeah <laughs> and there's like that brief moment when they like run across and then he's like finally able to throw him and then he's like throws him three or four times after the fact and he kind of regrets it each and every time like yeah. i don't want to keep doing this you know stop stop, stop getting up <laughs> i don't want to do this <laughs> i don't want to keep throwing you across the room stop so, but yeah. definitely i think the beauty of of the fight scenes in in this film is not just the fight scenes but the underlying stakes that are there like you mentioned yeah like those things are so important to a fight scene because it gives the fight scene purpose and reason, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of fight scenes sometimes just is there for... These days, I feel like is there just to look cool. Or like it's just there to be this flashy moment that kind of draws people's attention. Yeah. But I feel like in this film, it's so much more intentional mm-hmm. in, in moving the story forward and, and, and characterizing the characters right. and giving them a reason why they're doing something or... Or giving them internal struggles while they are fighting, you know, and, right. and I think that makes it so much more interesting as a story mm-hmm. than just being like, okay, I'm gonna do this cool move on you, you know? <laughs> right. Perfect choreography, flashy choreography, thought that matters. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's great. I love good choreography, but mm-hmm. I think the underlying stakes has to be there for it to really be compelling. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, just go way back. Yeah, listen to our Man From Nowhere podcast. So we're exactly. so we going to talk all about that. <laughs> How to do both? Right there. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's always like, I mean, the underlying question is like, why is this fight happening? Or why is exactly. this character fighting this person? Or, or like fighting for this reason, you know? Um, that is really the kind of the true question with it. And yeah, that is addressed here too. Like, I mean, they're kind of like, triad relationship is on the line you know and right like is this fight going to break their relationship apart or is it going to somehow like bridge them closer together yeah and, it was and a... the whole story itself is kind of like that too if you mm. think about it right like why is he doing this martial arts right and like you know in the beginning you know he was doing it for one thing and as he's growing it kind of changes and morphs into something exactly more. yeah and i think um like talking about that like i think a flaw of the movie is not properly addressing his motivation in the beginning right and then obviously there's lost footage and stuff but we see the transition to like why he wants to start fighting now which is you know he jumps into the swamp and he's sitting at the stake and he's reflecting on his life you know for me like that whole scene and stuff kind of falls short because we don't know what his initial motivation is and it, mm. like, like I said, it, just like the tone of it switches so fast between him being sort of like, to me, he seems like a humble, straightforward guy to then being a bully after learning martial arts. And then he needs to like reflect on his old ways to be like this new guy. But it's like, yeah. I don't really know what's going on here. And then even like when he comes out of the the swamp, the swamp. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's a metaphor. Like a flower is a metaphor for, I don't know, something <laughs> like you know, like, yeah. it's, it's never properly addressed straightforward. Like, it's just like, I forgive my old ways, master. Like, teach me more. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think technically it's it's executed beautifully. Like, even the, the swamp and the flower metaphor, mm. the feeling of it. Sure. Like, it really gets at you. I think, yeah, like you said, though, the motivation, if you really think about it, you're just kind of like, huh? <laughs> like, what happened <laughs> what? here? I think going on about the flower, I think the interesting part is in the swamp, when he has that revelation, he looks at the flower, right? Mm. And he sees a flower and he, I guess, sees some kind of beauty in that and realizes something internally. Yeah. But then there's another scene where we're with Higaki Mm -hmm. and Higaki is like smoking. 
and he uses the flower as like a ashtray. Yeah. I think that was a really good kind mm-hmm. of juxtaposition of the two characters. Right. And showing how one person kind of sees the flower and, and sees it as some catalyst mm-hmm. for self-revelation. But for Higaki, it's just this, <laughs> you know, ashtray for his smoke and kind of really kind of characterizes the two in these polar opposites. He's evil at heart. He's a true bad guy. He's, he doesn't he, like flowers. He's, oh no. <laughs> pure scum, non environmentalist. <laughs> <laughs> Anti green. Yeah. yeah. And you know, like, even to the very end, at the, the very fight, sort of him losing the battle in his final hoorah moment is reflecting on these things and kind of this mm. notion of the flower kind of reinvigorates him um, in that sense. Yeah. Power of the flower, people. Power of the flowers. <laughs> the moral story. <laughs> the last fight scene was nice, too. I think it's just like an iconic kind of... At the field. Fight. Like yeah, the, at the like field. The you know, very, like, like... Yeah, like the <laughs> ending, the last fight, let's fight at the field where the wind is, you know, blowing right. like crazy. And there's just this one-on-one between these two guys. Very, like, samurai straw hat kind of exactly. vibe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can tell he had it from the very beginning. He's like, I'm definitely gonna put this I'm in my movies. Do that. Well, yeah. I, I read that like initially they did it on a soundstage and they had like painted the background and like the blue sky and the clouds and they used like fans for the wind. But he uh-huh. hated how it looked when they were shooting it. Yeah. So he went to the yeah. studios and they gave him like three location days to shoot. And so he, he was able to do it there. Like, fuck all, fuck all this fake stuff. This is not working. Cut. Forget about it. Wrap it up. We got to go outside. We're done for today. We're done for today. Where's the producer? Whose yeah. idea was this? It's kind of funny that, did you notice, like, he, he, like, gets back up, walks up, and then he, like, falls down. But they all had, it like, layered like a slide, so he just smoothly yeah. falls down. <laughs> he just slides. <laughs> Just like so a, funny. It's like now you're gonna smooth down here. I so wonder funny. why that was necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want him tumbling. But yeah, it's so funny. Like it is like such an iconically made scene, you know, in a sense. Right. Like almost oh, cliche. Such you know? cliche. And then they have like and then they have uh Sayo just come literally out of nowhere, like, <laughs> what's going on? Oh no, like you can't risk your life. <laughs> you know. Yeah. The lover witness kind of situation. Like, how does she even find out? <laughs> right. Like, I don't, I don't understand. And then, I mean, just the whole fate was kind of silly. Like, even, oh yeah, and it's a fight to the death. Like, this is pretty unnecessary. But all right. <laughs> and then he's like, it has to be a fight to the death. It's like, why? <laughs> I know. Like, what? literally no reason. <laughs> Where is this grudge even coming from? From him? I know. Like, I understand the rivalry, but to the death? <laughs> it's not like he killed Mudai, your master. Like, he became I friends know. with the guy, and, and you just, yeah. like, triggered now? It's for the girl. It's for the girl. That's why. I didn't even I didn't even make a connection that uh, Higaki likes Soya, Sayo. Oh. But I guess maybe, but I never put those pieces into place. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to infer, I guess. <laughs> It's funny, like, to see, though, that scene where, you know, he's visiting the house and he's, like, taking care of Mudai and they eat dinner together. And he just, like, walks in and he's, like, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, like, quiet. And everybody, like, puts their heads down, like, you were all caught eating with your enemies, huh? <laughs> Guess I'm going to have to fight you to the death now. Exactly. <laughs> There's some genuine, genuine, uh, funny moments. Yeah. yeah. More of the story, guys. Like, proper motivation. Proper motivation. Yeah. Uh, requires some... Yeah. Proper, thorough, you know, fleshing out of some characters, I feel. Yeah. I, I guess, overall, I think Higaki is definitely the least of the characters, right? Where... Yeah. He's the least fleshed out. Like, you yeah. see him from the beginning, but you never really know what his motivation is. Mm. A clear motivation. He's just kind of, like, 
wants to fight everyone, basically. Pretty much. Or, like, I mean, everybody makes an enemy out of uh, judo, right? I mean, well, that's the common consensus in the yeah. movie. And even in the time, like, what the book is based about and stuff. Right. Essentially, I mean, judo, I think... I mean, don't quote me on this, but from, like, what I read, it, it kind of, like, comes a little bit from jujitsu. Yeah. But yeah, it yeah. has some clear, some pretty clear separations from it. And essentially, uh, jujitsu ka um, just were not taken lightly of it, essentially, and yeah. challenged like judo. It, yeah. And that's kind of, like, what that whole theme of this movie is, is obviously people are like, oh, like, judo, you're a disgrace to, like, jujitsu and martial arts mm-hmm. and whatever, whatever, essentially, for changing it. And Higaki's this guy who's, like, I guess coming from some, like, prestigious jujitsu ka, right? And then he's, like, wants to challenge uh, this, whatever, named judo school dude essentially yeah. right and like that's like that's his only motivation is like oh i'm high, like high mightier than thou and i'm gonna put an end to this kind of you know what i mean like or simply like he feels that he's the strongest and he feels that if somebody else is stronger he's like well let's see it then let's can't prove- have that yeah like let's prove it then and that's why he like obviously targets specifically like yano's students people's so yeah, so pretty much I guess I could talk a little bit about some background stuff. But the movie was based on a book. And I was actually pretty surprised kind of doing my reading on it. Was how pretty canon the movie is to uh, the book and sort of like the history of uh, sort of judo in mm-hmm. this era. Well, let, me, let me take it back here. So Kirasawa, for his debut... Um, he'd been in the industry for like six years prior to making this, right, with Toho Company, um, as a, uh, I think like second and then to a first AD, so he yeah. had so he had already quite a lot of experience uh, up until this point, and he had written a couple of screenplays I think as well, but nothing really stuck for a debut essentially, um, but he was kind of recognized for a couple of scripts, but it wasn't until this book came into light that i think he said that he saw the advertisement and was like basically was like oh yeah that's the one kind of thing mm-hmm. and he he went to his producer and wanted his producer to secure the rights for the book before the book was even published <laughs> basically because <laughs> he like knew that it was going to be a hit and that like studios were going to like try to Want go it. after it yeah like bid on it and he was pretty much right because like right after the book had published uh, there's like th- I think three major studios were trying to secure the rights on it, but everything was funny enough going his way for it because his producer got the rights to the book because he like pounded him on it from what I read, and then actually the studio went to another director uh, to helm the film, but he turned it down and wrecked Kurosawa instead, so that's how he got this. And, like, I guess from, like, Kitasawa really saw this movie as a, like, a safe film. Like, kind of like we said, right? It's a pretty straightforward narrative. It's pretty conventional, yeah. you know? Very sort of Hollywoody, y um, uh, as a film. And that's kind of, like, why he did it and what he wanted to go for with it. And so I definitely praise him for, you know, kind of knowing what his envision was and what he wanted to do and really doing that. So yeah, I mean, so the he read the book. The book was is under the same name, and I forgot what the guy's name that written it was, but I think his last name is the family name is Tomita. Uh, I think it's Suneo Tomita. So yeah, Suneo, he wrote the book. His father was oh Sunehiro is his father. Sunehiro, yeah, Sunehiro is the father, right. Sunero is the writer. Sunero is the writer. And so Sunehiro Tometa, his father, is actually one of the first students to pretty much learn uh, Kodokan Judo, um, which, is, he, which is like one of the, f- I think it was like four people are really the root people that founded Judo. And so he was one of the students of, um, of one of them. Uh, Jigoro Kano, that's his name, Jigoro Kano. And so it's funny because Sunero Hiro and then him and another person, Shiro Saigo, 
Um, and Shiro Sego is based off of uh, the main character, Shansudo. And so they were the first people to earn black belts ever. Like not only wow. in judo, but in martial arts. Because judo invented the belt system in which other martial arts adopted, basically. Um, so yeah, so that was pretty interesting. And then, yeah, like the story is that basically uh, Shiro Saigo is one of like the most popular judoists um, in the era, in history. And yeah. super skilled. And essentially, like at the same time, uh, jiu-jitsu was already a thing. And basically, there was this huge exhibition hosted by the Tokyo police to basically declare, kind of, um, and again, use uh, as instructors to train future policemen, like what is yeah. the superior martial arts of, the, of that time. And so this was sort of uh, the chance for judo to come out, like, out of the limelight. And this is where it really put its foot um, down as sort of like the uh, the superior martial art over jiu-jitsu. And uh, Shiro Saiga, I believe, was the person that that essentially made that mark. Um, so yeah, so it was kind of funny to see that like these plot points and the settings of the film is really kind of canon and one-to-one with the book in a surprising way. Yeah. Even like Mr. Mishima is the head chili chief in the film and is the real life mr mishima in real life you know yeah i wonder how much of that is legal <laughs> probably fine <laughs> back then <laughs> uh, yeah what was really cool is to see that like apparently um shido Saigo's signature move is called the uh yama arashi which is basically like a forward throw and it's the same mm. move that Sugata basically constantly uses to, like, take down his opponents. Like, Murai, all, all four times, uses the same move and, like, <laughs> flings him across the mat. So, it's, yeah. like, it's such a hard, like, comparison between them. It's pretty cool. I uh, definitely reference, I, I went on um, judo info, judoinfo.com. But Sego has a lot of key information there if anybody wants to read up on that. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think this is, I, I mean, for me, it's kind of funny, like, for one, watching this movie that, like, we're doing a martial arts project right now. So it kind of, like, falls into, like, a theme of our lives, you know? Right. Which I was pretty surprisingly, pretty surprising to see. But also just to kind of really neat to see the personal connections in martial arts history that the movie has. And it's funny to see that, like, it's a period piece and a period piece. Like, the movie was made in 45, but it was a period piece for them in, like, 1886 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for the film going through... So, Kirasawa's experience with making it was that after he got the rights in that whole battle, he actually accounts that, like, the movie was pretty fairly easier to make for him. Like, it went pretty smoothly as far as shooting goes. Um, but I think... Like, the uphill battle was censorship for the time. Because, again, the movie was made in 1943. It's during World War II. Um, obviously, there was, like, some censorship laws and some strict criteria for uh, for artists at the time. And so, I think that Kitasawa definitely struggled a bit trying to get his movie out. But, actually, Ozu was the one that stepped in and kind of, like, magically waved his hand and was like, It's a good movie. It's cool. It's fine. And it ultimately got passed along to, to do it. Oh, wow. So, where's where's Ozu when I need him? In times of, <laughs> in times of conviction. <laughs> really, this movie works in every way for him. I mean, not only with, like, the amount of favor that he had to make it, but also just, like, it's such a Japanese movie. Like, it's, it's about martial arts, right? It's natively yeah. pretty nationalistic. Like, it's exclusively about very Japanese martial arts and um, sort of a drama in that sense. Yeah. So props to him in that time. I think this is a, this is a great one. I'm really interested to see his future films and kind of like, I'm like, this is definitely the most, like the least, I don't know. Like, I mean, somebody who's, you know, when you think Kurosawa is very thematically themed and like 
just overly complex in films, right? But this movie is like super shy from those traits. And so mm-hmm. I'm definitely looking forward to see that being adopted into sort of his next films. I mean, he definitely does flesh out, like he becomes better at his craft, definitely, mm-hmm. as he goes along. I think this film highlights a lot of his style, but it really is only just the beginning of like what really he does. Right. Um, you can see the glimpses of the things that he really wants to do. Mm. I think it would be fun to look forward to those things mm-hmm. where he continues to improve upon what he already has. And to transition in that note, we will, with Ikidu being our next film, um, let me see, oh, 1952, that one was released. <clears throat> um, so I have seen this one, like I said. And I think it is all of these things that we, that I mentioned and that we mentioned. It's pretty, it's a pretty heavy film. And yeah, funny enough, so like the guy, so Murai, the actor, plays the protagonist in Ikiru, which I I didn't even make the connection to. I didn't even realize that. The actor is the central actor that he uses in mm. so many of his films. Their partnership is extends for, for days and days. For, for days and days. We're, we are in the pre-Mufune era. We're in the pre-Mufune run. But he's even in Seven Samurai. He's going to be in Yojimbo. Where he's, in Yojimbo Ro- right? Ro- he's in Rashomon. I don't, I'm not sure if he is in Yojimbo. I forget. But Anyways, he is in a lot yeah, he's, of he's a lot. Akira's he's films. Uh, yeah, cool. Anything else on your part? No, I think that's it. Um, looking forward to the next film. Be there or be square. Yeah. See you then. Peace. Bye.